Hello, and welcome to Life Stories. I'm Ron Hogan. I talk to memoir writers about their lives and the art of writing memoir. My guest on this episode is Andrew Forstoffel. He is the author of Walking to Listen, 4,000 Miles Across America, One Story at a Time. And we're going to dive into what exactly that entails. But Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So yeah, this is literally you deciding to walk across America with a, as as the book jacket shows here you've got a sign on top of your backpack that says walking to listen yeah so tell me how that started so in that moment I had uh, graduated from college just a few months before and wanted to take some time to immerse myself in questions that I only really got to study from a scholarly distance in school so the question of like who who am I Boots on the ground. And who are we when there's no middleman to sort of tell us who we are as Americans? So I wanted to, yeah, just sort of like have a confrontation with some of those questions. I didn't have a, much of a budget, didn't have a fellowship or a grad school program, and, and just figured that maybe if I simply walked out my mom's back door with the intention to listen and ask some of my questions to whoever I met, maybe that would be enough. And the book is about what happened after. And when you originally sort of set out, um, as you say, you were fresh out of college. And so the initial sort of like starting point of the questions was something very much related to work that you were doing in your last years at college mm. in terms of coming of age mm. and entering into manhood. Mm. And although you were initially listening for that, you, mm. you sort of like found that a little too narrow cast, it mm. sounds like, in, in terms of what you were listening for. Mm. Yeah. I had, I mean, the, the primary question that was driving this whole venture was the question of coming of age. What, what is that? And then more broadly, what is transformation? Yeah, I wanted to ask people about their own understandings of that and their own experiences of it. But as, as you're saying, I, a, a month or so into the walk, it became clear that a question like that was intimidating for some people. You know, like imagine just someone coming up to you and saying, hey, so, uh, What's transformation? <laughs> it's a prohibitively epic, you know, for, for some. So I tried to just, you know, to just tell me about your life. Who, who are you? What do you care about? And that's what I became inter interested in as I continued on, is just finding out who people were and how they became who they were. And, those, and the stories of their lives then began to inform how I was becoming who, who I was and understanding myself in that way. So let's talk a little bit about the route that you took, because I think that ends up playing an important part of the process of, of your becoming on mm -hmm. this journey as well. Mm -hmm. As you say, you walked out your mom's back door mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and you immediately headed south. Yeah. Yeah, I left in October, so the winter was coming, and I, I just I had to get south because I didn't want to walk through the snow. And I stuck to state highways um, and county roads, only a few interstates. You're not really allowed to walk on the interstates, but there were some places where there weren't any other roads. And so some interstates, but mostly just state highways, which you can walk on. Went south down to New Orleans and then started heading west, ultimately ending in Half Moon Bay, California. And when I started, I wasn't sure how long I'd be gone. I was open to the idea that maybe this would only be a week or a couple weeks. I didn't want to, you know, walk with this impression that it would only be a success if I reached a certain point. You know, I wanted to be open to closure at any moment. And so I was going to walk until I found that closure or until I got to the Pacific or until I ran out of money, whichever came first. 
what was your daily pace like? You know, you know, like in terms of getting into that, like, so how much are you carrying on your back as you're doing all yeah. this? And then how, how much are you able to do in the course of a day? So that changed. Yeah. I, at the beginning, I was carrying a backpack filled with about 50 pounds of stuff, way more than I needed. But I had just, you know, a couple changes of clothes. I had a little food bag. I had some water. I had a basic camping gear and a mandolin and an audio recorder. And carrying all that stuff, I was, at the beginning, I was averaging probably 15 miles a day, maybe 20. And then ultimately being able to walk maybe like 25 miles a day. Halfway through, somewhere in Texas, I I ended up buying a a baby stroller, a high-end sort of luxury baby stroller to push all my stuff in because it was just getting so hot and the towns were far apart. And with the stroller, I could walk, I think the longest I walked was... 44 miles, 43 miles, something like that. But the average with the stroller is probably about 30 miles a day. Which is it's funny because it's like, I mean, I'm sure you're getting like weird enough, you know, side glances yeah. walking through, you know, down the eastern seaboard, right. you know, in, in just a backpack. But then like sort of going across the southwest with a baby stroller yeah. on the highway. Yeah, you can yeah. imagine. I mean, seeing someone, seeing a young man pushing a baby stroller in the middle of the desert you know, people were concerned. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a conversation starter, and, I guess. And ultimately, that's what this project was all about, is like just creating a conversation starter, creating a way to break through these barriers that seem to pop up between, between us and uh, find a way to just leap out over the chasm and actually meet you, you know, which in some ways it seems like this show might be a version of that, you know, for you. It's like it's just a conversation starter. It's a way to connect which is what the walk was for me and and that brings me to to an interesting question which is one that you you touch upon at various points along this uh account of your journey in that you know i sort of want to you know play the psychoanalyst and say it's like okay you're doing all this walking andrew mm-hmm. what are you walking from mm-hmm. you know, cuz there's something yeah. you know, there's something that you there is a a, a past mm-hmm. uh, sort basically a, a family history that was causing you a lot of strife in your adolescence and your college years. And that I felt as I was reading this really sort of informed the kinds of coming of age questions that you were grappling with and, and choosing to confront them, not by like confronting the family, but by walking across the country. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not something I, I really, I really realized at the time. I, I didn't understand that the walk was a way to process unprocessed pain until it was happening on the road and I found myself sobbing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, putting myself in a situation where I was far from home and everything that was familiar to me and everyone who I knew and loved um, had a way of bringing me close to just these these various feelings and wounds and um, questions that I was able to avoid before or distract myself from and so being in this stripped down environment all of a sudden all that stuff came back and it was yeah i mean the 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 short story for for this conversation is my parents divorced in a very sudden dramatic and painful way when i was 15 and that was the moment when i think that was the moment when i first experienced with with consciousness my vulnerability as a human being you know just at, at any at any moment Everything that I take to be certain can come falling apart. At any moment, uh, my heart can be broken, you know, just by virtue of the fact that I have one that's working and actively connected to other hearts. And 
Yeah, I mean, I, I got smacked up with that lesson when I was 15 with the divorce and um, and then never really got to... We, we moved uh, hundreds of miles away, uh, away from my dad, and that created its own set of challenging circumstances because we, we weren't really able to dig into some of the stuff that had to get dug into in order for healing and some of the stuff that just had to get expressed. And so on the road, I think I was... Maybe not walking away from that, but walking toward it. Mm-hmm. You know, like at last, you know, walking toward this, these unfelt emotions, which carried within them the seeds of wisdom, the seeds of empathy. You know, like it, it's, I think it's only after experiencing and fully feeling something like that that one can connect deeply with another human being. And so that, was I guess what I was walking toward without even really realizing it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it's funny as you were saying that I'm thinking that it's like okay, well, on this one subconscious level, he's yeah. walking away from this, but then there's this sub subconscious <laughs> level where he's real, like you say, you're really walking towards this, yeah. and you know, the listening to other people part is really sort of a punctuation mm. in, in terms of your your daily experience. Yeah. The majority of the time, you're pretty much out there listening to your own thoughts, yeah. and you might as well have gone up onto you know the top of a mountain and sat and meditated. Yeah. But instead, you chose to put one foot in front of the other and and get across the continent. Yeah, I appreciate that you see that. Um, again, it wasn't something I really realized I was doing at the time, but that is exactly correct. It was a it was a long, drawn out, um, movement based uh, confrontation with myself, which is what happens in in the cave in solitude on top of the mountain you know it was a similar it was a similar experience and the punctuations that you mentioned of of the people i got to meet along the way those had a way of the people had had a way of enhancing all of the inner exploration that was happening for me so i so i would do all this inner exploration on the road alone and then i would meet someone at the end of the day and i would be able to ask them authentically, sincerely, a question I had about my own exploration and their experience of it. You know, so if I had spent the day dealing with sadness, you know, I, I might meet someone at the end of the day and get to talk with them and the conversation might lead towards sadness. And I could hear about how they navigated that kind of thing. And I, I came to realize that that each person was sort of a unique wellspring of information, like experiential information. And I could lean into that and drink from from that and, and we could share in that together and people i mean that's mutual service i i was obviously being served in in that i was receiving people's wisdom and their lessons and offerings and yeah and i think there were a number of people who you write about the you know the encounters just as you're getting what you know what you're describing from them mm-hmm. they're sort of seeing you and once they get past the initial shock of mm-hmm. like what's this crazy kid doing wandering around the country mm-hmm. you get a lot of wow i wish i could do that wow you know you become sort of like an inspirational figure mm-hmm. and in many ways uh well certainly overtly through your your questioning you become an overt prompt for them to mm-hmm. uh, to engage in that kind of reflection as well yeah and and then they get to you know, sing songs that had been inside them that maybe they'd never heard before. You know, not necessarily literal songs, but just these, these, you know, I feel like each one of us has a song, you know, and, um, stories and, and insight and, um, irreplaceable, inimitable, valuable contribution and offering. And without the presence of a trustworthy listener there to ask for those things, 
those things rot on the vine, you know, or those things never get, sometimes never get to come out. And so when I came into the scene, a trustworthy listener, ready to listen fully, asking for it sincerely, that stuff was able to come out. And there's catharsis in that and redemption in that too. Um, and I think people, so again, like obviously I was being served by all that, but then there was the service I was offering of, of allowing them to really be themselves in ways that aren't always possible when no one's listening. Yeah, and I think that's a really intriguing point. That I mean, obviously, the perspective of this memoir, by virtue of being yours, is, you know, here I am, Andrew, walking across the country and the people that I meet. But any one of these people has a, has a story to tell about here I am living my life. Right. And one day this guy, Andrew, like, you know, walks, you know, walks in and like yeah. spends the day with, and we have this amazing conversation, mm -hmm. and, you know, and then he, and then the next day he's gone. Yeah. 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 So, so and yeah, I mean, anybody could have a memoir. It's, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, in some ways, that's what the, that's what the walk was honoring mm -hmm. was that each and every single one of us has a story worth hearing. I mean, this again, this is this is what you're doing right here with me. It's like life stories. Yeah. Every one of us has one, and they're all equal, you know. And and I think in this society that seems to have this inclination to revere only certain types of people, you know, like be they celebrities or scholars or spiritual leaders, like they're they're sort of forgotten. Uh, in that is the equal value of every single one of us, you know? And so I was trying to walk in honor of that and in celebration of that, like this this whole ordinary average Joe actually doesn't, there's no such thing as the average Joe. Each one of us, if you take time to show up to the person, has something fascinating, heartbreaking, complicating, challenging beautiful it's their life it's a universe you know in, inside each one of us um so yeah each one of us could write a memoir <laughs> and i wish more of us did so speaking of which yeah you took a tape recorder or, or some form of audio recorder mm -hmm. out with you on yeah. the trip. so it seems like there was some sense in which you were thinking of something that would come after this walk some document yeah yeah, I wasn't sure what it would be, but I left intending to record some of what happened out there. Um, and yeah, I wasn't sure what it would be, but I knew that, uh, number one, I loved working with audio. I had done a little audio storytelling in, in my last year in college. I found that that was a, a really remarkable way to sink deeper into conversations. And yeah, I wanted to, wanted to share what I found out there. And I journaled and I, you know, I love, writing, loved writing at the time, and was interested about how what happened out there might be translated into, yeah, maybe a book or maybe maybe just a series of blog posts. You know, I wasn't wed to the idea of a book, certainly not a memoir. I wasn't imagining that at the time. But as the months went by and as the stories kept happening, it became vividly clear that it would make a pretty compelling book. And eventually I, yeah, showed up to the work of trying to write it. So I want us to talk about something that comes up, especially in the first half of the book, you know, between leaving your front door in New Orleans, mm -hmm. where, as we've said, you're basically walking down the eastern seaboard and then, you know, the, the Gulf states, mm -hmm. particularly in terms of the political climate now, although, mm -hmm. well, yeah, it's not like other than the people who were in charge, it's not that much different than mm -hmm. in 2012, 2013, when you were walking that route. Yeah. You know, you talked before about how, you know, many times the people you met along the way were challenging mm -hmm. to you, and I think... You know, you certainly describe one of the biggest challenges that you faced 
was dealing with that daily experiential level of racism yeah and grappling with yourself about whether to confront it how to confront it yeah. i mean you're there to listen but what do you mm -hmm. do when what you're hearing is so antithetical to uh, to what you believe yeah i mean that's that's the question um that i think we all get to wrestle with and, and dance with and my experience of Tangling with that question involved a lot of confusion uh, and frustration and unexpressed anger, both at the person uh, for what they were expressing and believing and at myself for often saying nothing and getting to look at my own fear, my own confusion, my own unexpressed anger. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King talked about the appalling silence of the good people, you know, and I'd, I'd heard about that in history class. And then I realized when I was out there, outside of the classroom, in the field, in reality, my God, that was what I just did. The appalling silence was right there. And, and then exploring the ways in which listening still must happen with those people too. You know, and so for me, the practice became how can I, you know, listening isn't some passive, glaze-eyed, walk-all-over-me, comatose state, you know, of, you know, I'm just, you know, agreeing with everything you say. It doesn't have to do with agreeance you know mm -hmm. it, it has to for me it has to do with learning how to uh, witness another without succumbing to the temptation to indulge uh, malice and so how can I listen to this person how can I receive them how can I stay connected to the fact that there is a kernel of humanity in them somewhere worth relating to that's worthy of my time and attention, that's worthy of being here and being alive? How can I remember that that's somewhere in even this person who's spewing out these reprehensible opinions and opinions that are even causing harm, real harm in the world? How can I remember that somewhere within them are the seeds of goodness? And how can I listen to them in that way and ask them questions with that continued sincerity, with not even the slightest shade of uh, in, intention to cause harm? It's like Hippocratic Oath style. It's like, do no harm. <laughs> you know? yeah. I may not be able to love this person. I may not even be able to understand them. But at least I can do them no harm and contribute to the greater societal healing that's called for in that way. Yeah, it must have been yeah, really interesting, I think, last year in, in 2016 is, yeah, as you're hearing all this talk in the media and the political landscape about like, oh, you know, you know we, have to, we have to empathize with the non-coastal elites. We have uh, to empathize with the white working class. And, and yeah. you must have been sitting there thinking, it's like, you know, you, you people talk about this. I've gone out and... <laughs> yeah, and which isn't to say that, I, you know, my work is done. Mm -hmm. You know, it continues every moment and every day. And now, now my challenge, now that I'm rooted and, you know, not, not walking around with a sign on my back that says walking to listen, <laughs> mm -hmm. how do I continue to get out of my bubble, the bubble that keeps sort of reforming, uh, how do I uh, keep listening um, and connecting with these people who I don't stumble across in my normal sort of meanderings of my day. But yeah, I think there is, you know, there is, there is a question there of empathy. And again, it doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't say anything. That's what I learned a lot. It's like, it doesn't mean that you just, you know, let these reprehensible opinions flow out without any interruption. I mean, there's a way of listening where I'm asking those questions from a place of compassion though that's mm -hmm. the difference it's like there's this intention it, it, even if compassion isn't there there's at least the intention to, to find it somewhere and so you know why why do you why do you believe that yeah. you know what's it like to believe that what's the lived experience of of 
believing this thing and, and and then and then communicating to the person without expectation that they'll understand or change their ways communicating to them the very real consequences of that opinion so you know they say something and then i say i just need you to know that you know you you believing that makes you know me feel this way xyz or um you know there are there are there are consequences to that and you actually don't have to change i'm not here to convert you or persuade you or manipulate you in any way i'm here to receive you as a listener um, but you need to know that mm -hmm. th this this is causing harm in the world now as a coda to, to this theme your path does eventually take you to selma and montgomery alabama mm -hmm. right around martin luther king day yeah. and i think there's some really powerful material in there in that you know while you ended up staying a while there because mm -hmm. it was such a powerful place mm -hmm. and a powerful time being there and part of the reason was is because you you know you got to listen to people who were there mm. you know half a century ago mm. when everything when it, you know it was still a fresh memory for them yeah i remember i i got to meet james perkins the the first black mayor of selma he was he was a former mayor at the time i met him and he took me out to dinner and he said it's one thing to know what you know about your history it's another thing entirely to feel what you feel about it. And until we feel these sort of unfelt feelings about where we all came from, we will continue to be dealing with the same sort of cycle of violence and retribution. There, there can be no truth and reconciliation uh, without the willingness to feel some of this stuff. And some of this stuff can't be felt without the presence of a listener to receive it. So... I think yeah, there's there's a there's a chapter where I go into that a little bit, and it's sort of a similar. I think a similar dynamic happens at the individual level, but we are all experiencing that collectively with this traumatic, traumatizing past that we all come from, are all touched by, and ignore. So many of us, you know, or or uh, don't know how to to navigate or feel. Now I want to circle back to something that you had said when we were talking about the personal transformative. Experience about the vulnerability that you were opening yourself up to, mm. and how that allowed the floodgates to go. And I want to circle back to that vulnerability, you know, the feeling that things could be taken away from you, like yeah. that, you know, your life could be upended. Because it also circles back to something that, you know, we go all the way back to the beginning when you say, you know, I walked out my mom's back door. Yeah. What's that like for your mom? And and, oh. and, and it circles back to that point of yeah. her coming to terms with a, a sense of vulnerability. And the potential for, for loss and grief. Mm, my God. Yeah. My mother, Therese Jornlin, you know, was on an intense and epic walk of her own the whole time I was out there. And it had to do with letting go and surrendering <laughs> control and trusting and complete and utter vulnerability. I, I had a professor in college who had two kids and he talked about how having kids is like having your heart walk around outside yourself you know like un unshielded unprotected like this bundle of nerves just walking around outside i i don't have kids myself so i i don't know what it's like but yeah imagine your child leaving home and then walking the highways and yeah my mom embodied the journey of abiding in vulnerability in that way rather than running away from it or railing against it because one thing she said and it's in the book is that if i didn't completely allow for the fact that you might die if i didn't allow for that i wasn't going to survive that year 
because she would have gone insane trying to prevent it from happening. Right. Insane. Yeah, I mean, like, there's, you know, you're barely on your first mile, and your yeah. landlord, like, drives <laughs> up to you, and he's like, you know, you're breaking your mom's heart. Like, Why don't you just come back home? <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Intense. Yeah, and she came out and visited me about halfway through in Texas. We reconnected, and then she was there waiting for me at the end, um, and my dad was too. It was very powerful, profound, and completely heart-opening moment for me. Now, you mentioned before about what you're trying to do in terms of whether it's the journey not being over Mm -hmm. or trying to maintain that state of openness and receptiveness to other people without the construct of the walk around it, you know, in, in, in your daily life now. So what, so what is in the future for, for Andrew Forsthoffel? Well, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure is the most honest answer. Front and center at, at the intention is, is that question of how, how do I show up to each new moment and to each new person who comes to me in each new moment in the same way that I was showing up to people on the walk. The way I was trying to show up to people on the walk was you are worth my time. You are worth my attention. I'm ready to give that to you. Um, and I'm ready to learn from you. I'm ready to see you as a teacher, see you as having lived something that might inform my walk. And I'm ready to give you that respect. Even though you haven't proven anything to me, I'm ready to just give it to you, to trust you, to learn from you. So how can I keep showing up to people in that way? I mean, that's a practice. That's hard. That takes energy. That takes work, you know, and that's why I call this an apprenticeship. Listening is something you have to apprentice yourself to. And it basically is mindfulness practice. It's like, how can I continue to give myself fully to each moment? And how can I receive what each new moment is offering me, even if it's something that might not be what I want? To me, that's love. You know, that's what love is. It's like learning how... Learning how to receive, which again isn't some passive reception of of atrocity or you know horrible. Th- it's 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 an active conversation, you know, a non-judgmental, non-violent approach to oneself and others in the world. Yeah, it's a it's a great model for behavior, and you know we don't all have to walk four thousand miles across the country yes. to to get there. But it certainly is interesting to read about how Andrew does it in walking to listen. So I want to thank. Andrew Forstoffel for being with us today on Life Stories. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, you can go onto iTunes and review it, give it a couple stars, and the more you do that, the more it makes it easier for the next person to find subsequent conversations. And you can also subscribe to it there and find out when new episodes are posted online. I'm Ron Hogan. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope to hear you again soon. Take care.